0: Listening to the Warrior Priest podcast, and this is the Warrior Priest podcast midweek debrief number eighty-three. And I am the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Thank you so much for giving me your time and attention today. Thank you for everyone who supports the podcast, who clicks that support button at Anchor FM, subscribes to the podcast at the website Warrior Priest podcast.wordpress.com. Today on the show, I am going to shift gears. I still plan on getting to the Iliad. I'm still preparing that. But this past week, I have received one hit after another from people that I know in government, who work in corporations, and for the people that I depend on who scrape the internet every day and share with me the information that they gather from their gleanings. In the United States, we have been taught a lie since we were old enough to understand that we are the most progressive, advanced, educated, informed society possibly in the history of the world, when in reality, what I have learned is that we are misinformed, We are constantly lied to by the state, which is not unique. This is historical. Every state institution lies to its people in order to control them, manipulate them, render them docile, but we are not a well-informed society. We are not a well-educated and knowledgeable society. In fact, it's quite the opposite. More often than not, we, don't have any idea what's happening, not only within the United States, but outside of the borders of our country. We are not being told that supply chains are broken throughout the world, not just in the United States, not just a bunch of ships sailing in circles off the east and west coast of our country, but worldwide supply chains have broken. There are forces at work that have spent decades preparing to institute what is happening to us right now. And we're still only in stage one. We still have agenda 2025. We still have agenda 2030. We're still in the first stages of this plan that has been instigated by governments, by the world economic forum, by the United nations, by the Vatican, by the crown in Great Britain. And yet we believe, and we've been led to believe, we've been indoctrinated to believe that we are well-informed, well-educated, knowledgeable, progressive, advanced, when we are one of the most isolated countries in the world when it comes to information. Everything that comes into this country and everything that occurs in this country is censored and edited and tweaked By the state, through its mouthpieces in the corporate media, by the social media oligarchies, by these corporate oligarchies who have bought and purchased and own federal, state, and local politicians and their mouthpieces in the media and in public education. And so we are not the most informed people or the most knowledgeable. We are siloed the information that we receive is controlled and manipulated. It is, in effect, entirely propaganda. And I think the better part of maturation is coming to accept in humility that everything that is presented to us as the truth by these institutions, by these entities, by the people that are a part of these monstrous organizations is a lie. Everything that we are told is a lie or at the very least manipulated in such a way that it is not representative of the truth. It's not real. And now we live at a time when objective reality is rejected. And it is only the yes or no of my personal taste buds that define what is truth so that there is my truth and there is your truth and there are other people's truths. Words don't mean anything. They mean whatever I define them to mean. And there is no such thing then, as objective reality. There is only what is real to me and what I accept to be real. This is the fruit of postmodernity, that essentially we believe in nothing And now we are seeing ourselves become nothing, not a people. We have allowed the state to become our God and destroy religion. We have allowed the state to become our parent and destroy the family. We have allowed the state, religious institutions, compulsory education, the corporate media, social media, our friends, our family, and our neighbors. We have allowed them to propagate the lies and the deception. We have allowed ourselves to have blinders put on our eyes. We have allowed ourselves to be indoctrinated in such a way that we no longer believe in objective reality, we reject it. We do not believe in a gracious creator. We do not believe in family. We are not tribal or clannish in our relationships. And as a consequence, we have been so dehumanized that as I said, all I see are things that used to be people. And so for today's episode and many episodes to come, most likely, I want to read from you, read from you. I want to read for you something that I consider a very, very important and relevant book today. Vital, I think, to not only understand what's happening, but how it happened and what you and I can do to fight back. And it's a book written by Rod Dreher. It's entitled Live Not by Lies, A Manual for Christian Dissidents. Now, before I go any further, for those of you who are not Christians, for those of you who don't believe in God, there is a great deal in this book that is applicable to you that you can glean wisdom from, a roadmap to action, The essays are about Christian priests and Christian people, but they are not narrowly specifically for Christians only, but rather these are the accounts, the anecdotes, the essays of people who lived during the Soviet regime, specifically Christian priests and devout Christian laypeople and their struggle and their fight against communism under the Soviet regime. So I ask that for this episode, even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't consider yourself religious or even believe in God, I ask you to give this episode a fair listen. And if at the end of the episode you found nothing helpful, no roadmap forward for you, you can skip over the next episodes to come in the series. But I argue now at the front end of this, I think this is relevant for everyone, regardless of whether they're Christian or not, religious or not, because we are all in the path of what's happening. And as I said, these monstrous institutions, they demand human sacrifice. They must be fed. They have an insatiable appetite. And we are the sacrifice that is being offered to them. And we cannot allow the Amazons, the Facebooks, the state, or any religious institution To throw us up on the altar and slit our throats in service to their false gods. To this monstrous evil that has spread over the face of the world. So I'm going to read the last page of the book first. To give you a sense of place. And then we'll go back and read about soft totalitarianism. Page 214. Live not by lies. A Manual for Christian Dissidents by Rod Dreher. Our cause appears lost, but we are still here. Now our mission is to build the underground resistance to the occupation, to keep alive the memory of who we were and who we are, and to stoke the fires of desire for the true God. Where there is memory and desire, there is hope. Let all saboteurs for the kingdom of God heed the stirring conclusion of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's 1974 essay, Live Not by Lies, which gives this book its title. It was his valedictory to the Russian people. Solzhenitsyn wrote, And so we need not be the first to set out on this path. Ours is but to join. The more of us set out together, the thicker our ranks. The easier and shorter will this path be for us all. If we become thousands, they will not cope. They will be unable to touch us. If we will grow to tens of thousands, we will not recognize our country. But if we shrink away, then let us cease complaining that someone does not let us draw breath. We do it to ourselves. Let us then cower and hunker down while our comrades, the biologists, bring closer the day when our thoughts can be read and our genes altered. And if from this also we shrink away, then we are worthless, hopeless, and it is of us that Pushkin asks with scorn, why should cattle have the gifts of freedom? Their heritage from generation to generation is the belled yoke and the lash. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, lived Not by Lies, 1974. You must destroy a people's history in order to control and manipulate a people. You must destroy their God in order to destroy their religion, and you must destroy the family. If you want to squash rebellion, if you want to shut down dissent, only the state can teach us history. We must be cut loose from our family history, from the family of God, We must be cut loose from our history, from our traditions, from our stories, from our cultural benchmarks. For example, on my mother's side, when I was in college, my aunt began studying and recording the history of our family. And since I was old enough, I participated in a tangential way in doing this. And we were able to trace our family history back to before the Revolutionary War, back to Prussia. And the Prussian Wars, when my family on my mother's side originally fled to the United States in order to escape their sons having to be serving in the Prussian Wars. And along the way in learning about our history and doing the research and recording it, we discovered I had missionaries in my family. My great-great-grandparents were missionaries to Montana, where they built a mission, a school, and a hospital. And then my great-grandmother, became a missionary to South Dakota back in the day. I had a great uncle who built churches. I had another great, great uncle who was a cowboy and he rode herd from Texas to Montana. And then he met a squaw in Montana and married her. I also know on my mother's side that the family owned a plantation in the South, I think in Georgia or one of the Carolinas. And there was a fight over a slave girl because my ancestor was having an affair with the slave girl, but a young man down the road at another plantation was having an affair with the same slave girl. And so they got in a duel. My ancestor shot the other man and had to flee to the north. And our family fortune was lost during the Civil War then. I know about my family's life during the Great Depression when they lived in Montana and then were forced to move to Minnesota. That's my history on my mom's side. On my dad's side, we're Irish, proudly, devoutly Irish. And even though I have not been back to Ireland and not been to the county by which I received my last name from, that history is there. And my family fleeing Ireland during the so-called potato famine, which was no famine. It was simply the British coming and taking all the Irish food and giving it to British people. So my people immigrated. But I have those stories. I have that collective history with other immigrants who came to this country. And I can trace that back then to Ireland and to the history of Ireland and to the history of the occupation of Ireland by the British and before them, the Romans. And my wife is Scandinavian, Norwegian, Finnish. She has Viking blood in her. She has the Norse history. We have that, that Collective history, that collective historical identity, which gives us an anchor, gives us benchmarks by which we can identify ourselves in relation to time and to space. It gives us a sense of meaning and belonging to something bigger than ourselves. It's what makes us unruly. I know what the potato famine really was. I know how the institutions worked against my people. I know about the Irish orphanages where Irish children were abused and murdered by their caretakers. And therefore being aware of that history and being a historian myself by training, when the state comes in and offers to help me raise my children, red flags go off because I have that shared memory. And so the state must kill that history. The state must cut me loose from the traditions and the culture and the stories that inform my life and give me a sense of identity and meaning and purpose in time so that only the state then becomes my history. And then the history of the state is my personal history. Their traditions, their stories become my tradition and my stories. And then they destroy God so that they can become God. Because, of course, when I read my Bible, and now I'm anchored in ancient history, the history of a people who suffered at the hands of the religious leaders and the state and the state and the religious leaders worked hand in glove to vilify and demonize and execute the prophets and to vilify and demonize and execute Jesus and to vilify and demonize and execute his disciples and those who followed him. That means that I have a healthy distrust for the state and religious authorities And so for the state to become my religion and my God is necessary to shut down my rebellion, to silence my voice so that I can't stand in the place of the prophets. I can't stand in the place of the disciples and to point out, look at history, pay attention, watch out. No, the state must become God. The state must become our religion. And then they will tell us, what is from on high, and what is divine, and what is godly, just like the mayor of New York did last month, talking in a church about how the COVID vaccine is from God, and she wanted all the people in the church to become her disciples for COVID. That is damnable idolatry. She is a false prophet. She is a false teacher. And because I've read and studied my Bible, and because I've read and studied church history, And earned my PhD in church history, I know better. And red flags pop up, and all my alarm bells go off, and I alert my congregation and I alert my friends and family. But we can't have that. We must silence that voice, the voice of the prophet. And of course we must destroy the family because the family is the foundation of any society. The state must become our parent so that they can establish for us our rituals our traditions, our collective story and history. We can't be clannish. We can't be tribal. The state must be our God. The state must form and fashion our religion. The state must be our parent. And the state will teach us our history. So today then, working from that final word from Solzhenitsyn, I'm going to the front of the book, page 9, subsection, The Gentleness of Soft Totalitarianism. Because this is why I wanted to read this, and this is why I'm going to do a series on this book. We will not experience the Soviet-style totalitarianism in the short term that they experienced in 1946, for example, under Stalinism and then Khrushchev. What we will enjoy is a soft totalitarianism that grows and thrives under the oligarchy that we currently enjoy in this country. And if we miss that, we will always be holding our breath, waiting for hard totalitarianism to come in and punch its iron fist down on the desk and announce itself to us arrogantly. That's not coming, not anytime soon. But soft totalitarianism is already here. And COVID was the cover. So page nine, the gentleness of soft totalitarianism. It's possible to miss the onslaught of totalitarianism precisely because we have a misunderstanding of how its power works. In 1951, poet and literary critic Czesław Milosz, exiled to the West from his native Poland, is an anti-communist dissident, wrote that Western people misunderstand the nature of communism because they think of it only in terms of might and coercion. That's wrong, he wrote. There is an internal longing for harmony and happiness that lies deeper than ordinary fear or the desire to escape misery or physical destruction. In The Captive Mind, The Captive Mind, Miloš said that communist ideology filled a void that had opened in the lives of early 20th century intellectuals most of whom had ceased to believe in religion. Today's left-wing totalitarianism once again appeals to an internal hunger, specifically the hunger for a just society, one that vindicates and liberates the historical victims of oppression. It masquerades as kindness, demonizing dissenters, and disfavored demographic groups in order to protect the feelings of victims in order to bring about social justice. The contemporary cult of social justice identifies members of certain social groups as victimizers, as scapegoats, and calls for their suppression as a matter of righteousness. In this way, the so-called social justice warriors, aka SJWs, who started out as liberals animated by an urgent compassion end by abandoning authentic liberalism and embracing an aggressive and punitive politics that resembles Bolshevism, as the Soviet style of communism was first called. At the turn of the 21st century, the cultural critic René Girard prophetically warned, the current process of spiritual demagoguery and rhetorical overkill has transformed the concern for victims into a totalitarian command and a permanent inquisition. This is what the survivors of communism are saying to us. Liberalism's admirable care for the weak and the marginalized is fast turning into a monstrous ideology that if it is not stopped, will transform liberal democracy into a softer, therapeutic form of totalitarianism. Softer, meaning softer language, softer enforcement, softer use of force, but also therapeutic. Remember that neo-Marxism is a mashup of Marx and Freud. Marx deals with the external reality and Freud deals with the internal reality. So that you become a victim both internally and externally. For Freud, it was the destruction of the libido basically make everybody queer. For Marx, it was the destruction of these institutions of oppression, specifically capitalist institutions. So we end up with a softer therapeutic form of totalitarianism. For example, if you are not vaccinated, you are not allowed to fly. You are not allowed to enter certain venues. You are not allowed to shop in certain stores. People will not socialize with you anymore. You're not allowed to sit with the same people in church anymore. That is a soft, therapeutic form of totalitarianism, grounded in passive-aggressive peer pressure. But note, whether you like it or not, whether you want to hear it or not, the roots of communism come from the intellectuals, no surprise there. We have a long history of intellectuals embracing communism, Marxism, even fascism, which is the bastard child of communism. But it is this. It thrived as a consequence of the death of God. With the death of God, the annihilation of God that Nietzsche laments in his generation, we essentially obliterated objective truth, objective reality, objective morality, so that there was nothing objective anymore. Because there was nothing higher than ourselves, no creator that objective reality was rooted in. Or who we could turn to to say, well, God has defined objective reality for us. And now we just argue about what that means. But early 20th century intellectuals embraced communism because they ceased to believe not in religion, but in God. And this is an important distinction in my opinion. Religion is an institution and it is an institution based on the reading and interpretation of God's Word. But it is not God, and it is not God's Word. It is, religion is to God what a car is to me. It is a vehicle that gets me from point A to point B. Religion is an institution through which we join together in order to gather around God's Word, celebrate certain rituals and rites, which we believe bring us into relation to our God, to celebrate the work of our God, specifically in the name of Jesus and what we are told in the Gospels about Jesus and in the Bible about Jesus. And it's a cult. It is a shared cult, a culture of believers gathered together to worship their God. But it is a vehicle. There will be no religion in heaven. There will be no churches or pastors or priests in heaven because according to Scripture, Jesus is our great high priest. And therefore, we won't need pastors in heaven because we got Jesus. We won't need churches in heaven because we'll be with Jesus. So by them rejecting religion, good, bad, or otherwise, for justifiable reasons or not, they rejected God. And once they rejected God, as Nietzsche laments, they rejected objective reality. And once you reject objective reality— That's a huge gap for morality, like I said, for society in general, for defining family, society, neighbor, government, the parameters of the family, the parameters of the culture, the parameters of government, all the checks and balances that had been there for thousands and thousands of years were all of a sudden gone. And with that, society began to inevitably disintegrate and implode, which Nietzsche predicted. Go back to my episode, I'll have to go back and find it myself to remember what the number is, what would Nietzsche think about society today in the 21st century? I had a whole episode on that. And the answer is, he would have said, told you so. You didn't listen, but I told you. By rejecting objective reality, they essentially tore a hole in the world, in the fabric of reality, and then they tried to stitch it back together with subjective definitions, subjective choices, presuppositions, hidden motives, and agendas, so that, like I said, the fruition of postmodern thought has been that there is no objective reality Words don't mean anything, and it's all the yes or no of our personal taste buds. And that is essentially, then, where communism comes in. Communism is not a political movement. It's a religion. And once you grasp that and accept it, what's happening makes a lot more sense. The reason that we, the reason that we joke about the branch Covidians and the cult of COVID is because it is. It's the fastest-growing religion I've ever witnessed. It has its high priest, it has its prophets, it has its rituals, it has numerous believers who dress in religious paraphernalia, masks. I actually saw people wearing necklaces with the COVID virus spike protein on the necklace as a decoration, just like a Christian would wear a crucifix. Yesterday, my wife took two of our boys to the optometrist to get their glasses adjusted. She walked into the office. She was standing in line, waiting her turn. And as soon as people noticed that she and the boys weren't wearing a mask, they peeled away from her and stood against the walls of the office so that they weren't infected by her, which is interesting because they were all wearing masks. And therefore, I'm assuming since they were wearing masks that they were vaccinated. So then my wife comes to the counter and the woman at the counter says, you have to wear a mask. And my wife's, or then she says, where's your mask? And my wife said, we don't have masks. We don't own masks, but if you have them, we will wear them while we're here. To which the woman answered, you have to wear a mask. Where's your mask? And my wife repeated, we don't have masks. We don't own masks, but if you have one, we will wear them. To which the woman responded again, you have to wear a mask. My wife then understood. This woman was not listening. My 10-year-old said to to his mother, my wife, Mom, why is she terrified of us? My 10-year-old recognized this. He read her body language. He saw it in her eyes and the way her voice trembled. Why is she terrified of us? And the woman continued to repeat the same thing over and over. You have to wear a mask. You have to wear a mask. To finally my wife broke this feedback loop and said, we don't have masks. What do you want us to do? To which the woman said, you have to stand outside while I adjust their glasses. So my wife and my boys had to stand outside and watch from outside through the window her adjust the glasses for my boys without their face being present for her to make sure that they were adjusted properly. And then when my wife went Oh, wait, she was not allowed to go back in the store. They were brought out to her. This optometrist is at the mall. And the section of the mall that this shop is in, the optometrist office, all of the other stores have closed permanently. And the mall itself is up for sale because there's not enough stores in the mall anymore to support and justify having it there. But this woman kept repeating over and over the mantra, but you have to wear a mask. As if she had been hypnotized. As if she were under a spell. As if she were possessed. You have to wear a mask. You have to wear a mask. She was incapable of answering any of my wife's questions, even when my wife was trying to be compliant for the sake of getting the glasses adjusted for my boys. That is softer therapeutic totalitarianism. That is the religious nature of communism. That woman doesn't know she's a useful idiot. She doesn't recognize that she's a zealot, a religious zealot. The people in the optometrist shop don't realize they're useful idiots. They're religious zealots. They think they're being compliant. They trust that if they just do what they're told by the state, things will go back to normal. And then free people walk into their presence. Thoughtful people, people that are polite and kind and respectful, who treat others that they don't disrespect with respect and kindness, who ask simple questions. If you have masks, we can wear them if you want. And the religious zealots simply repeat the credo, you have to wear a mask. Even though the president never signed the executive order mandating vaccines, mandating masks, even though my governor has not signed a mandate that says you must wear the masks in your business. By agreeing to participate in the lie, they make it a reality. That's how communism thrives. That's how the religious cult of communism thrives. And it's why COVID is the perfect vehicle to smuggle in communism. So now the therapeutic as the postmodern mode of existence. Soft totalitarian, sorry folks. <sighs> Stuff gets me worked up. Soft totalitarianism exploits decadent modern man's preference for personal pleasure over principles. Let me repeat that again. Soft totalitarianism exploits decadent modern man's preference for personal pleasure over principles including political liberties. Slave morality is what Nietzsche would call it. The public will support, or at least not oppose, the coming soft totalitarianism, not because it fears the imposition of cruel punishments, but because it will be more or less satisfied by hedonistic comforts. 1984 is not the novel that previews what is coming. It is rather Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. The contemporary social critic James Poulos calls this the Pink Police State, an informal arrangement in which people will surrender political rights in exchange for guarantees of personal pleasure. The Pink Police State. We'll do whatever you want, so long as we can continue to satisfy our cravings, so long as we can escape pain and suffering, so long as we can enjoy our conveniences, so long as we can eat, drink, and be merry because we know that tomorrow we're going to die. The reason that the woman was terrified of my wife and children, the reason that people peeled away from them and stood against the walls is because my wife and boys are a mirror that God holds up to them that reflects back at themselves the truth, that they are choosing to die rather than live, whereas my family has chosen to live rather than die. We believe in a God of life, not in a God of death. The God of COVID, the God of the Branch Covidians, the God of communism is a death God And therefore, the religion of communism, the religion of COVID, is a death cult. It worships death. And what it calls life and living is an attempt every day to not die. That is not living. That is attempting not to die. That is their existing, not living. And so we are a mirror to them of their self-chosen suicide. But they choose suicide because it is the path of least resistance. When I was in my early 20s, I committed myself to ending my life several times. I tried to overdose on drugs several times, put myself in situations that I knew Would end up killing me. Later, when I got clean and sober, that's when I recognized how easy it is to commit suicide. It is the path of least resistance. It takes almost no effort to down a fistful of pills, it takes almost no effort to pull the trigger, it takes almost no effort to step off the bridge but it takes a Herculean effort to walk away from the edge, to put the gun down, to throw the pills in the toilet. It is a here. Why can I not pronounce Herculean today? Hercules, Herculean. You see, I try to be serious and then I get in my own way. I trip over my own tongue. (laughs) What I mean is it's a massive effort. To come back from that, it takes a massive amount of strength to step back and to say, No, not today. I'm not going to give in to death today. I'm not going to allow you to drive me over the edge and to end my own life. And yet, what do we see in mass today, not just in the United States, but everywhere? People choosing death over life. People choosing to join a religion and to worship a God that preaches death. That promotes death, that vilifies those who choose to live and promote life. Those who worship the God of life, who celebrate life, who are satisfied with their life, who receive almost everything as a gift, they are the enemy. They are the demon. They must be expunged because they are the heretics. But soft totalitarianism, as we will see in a later chapter, makes use of advanced surveillance technology not yet imposed by the state, but rather welcomed by consumers as aids to lifestyle convenience. And in the post-pandemic environment, likely needed for public health. It's hard to get worked up over Big Brother when you have already grown accustomed to big data, closely monitoring your private life via apps, credit cards, and smart devices, which make life so much easier and more pleasurable. In Orwell's fictional dystopia, the state installed telescreens in private homes to keep track of individuals' lives, you know, like they're doing in Australia right now. Today, we install smart speakers into our homes to increase our sense of well-being, the same speakers that listen to us. How did maximizing a feeling of well-being become the ultimate goal of modern people and societies? the American sociologist and cultural critic Philip Reif was not a religious believer, but few prophets have written more piercingly about the nature of the cultural revolution that overtook the West, especially in the 20th century, that defines the core of soft totalitarianism. In his landmark 1966 book, The Triumph of the Therapeutic, Reif said the death of God in the West had given birth to a new civilization devoted to liberating the individual, to seek his own pleasures, and to managing emergent anxieties. Religious man, who lived according to belief in transcendent principles that ordered human life around communal purposes, had given way to psychological man who believed that there was no transcendent order and that life's purpose was to find one's own way experimentally. Man no longer understood himself to be a pilgrim, on a meaningful journey with others, but as a tourist who traveled through life according to his own self-designed itinerary, with personal happiness his ultimate goal. This was a revolution, even more radical than the 1917 Bolshevik event, said Reef, For the first time, humankind was seeking to create a civilization based on the negation the negation of any binding transcendent order. The Bolsheviks may have been godless, but even they believed that there was a metaphysical order, one that demanded that individuals subordinate their personal desires to a higher cause. Almost a quarter century before the fall of the Berlin Wall, Reif predicted that communism would not be able to withstand the cultural revolution coming from the West one that purported to set the individual free, free to pursue hedonism and individualism. If there is no sacred order, then the original promise of the serpent in the Garden of Eden, ye shall be as gods, is the foundational principle of the new culture. And there it is. He hit it on the head. Soft, therapeutic totalitarianism purports To make us all little gods. To know the difference between good and evil. And we do. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have grievance culture. We wouldn't have victim culture. Communism would have never become a cult. COVID would have never become a cult. You will become as gods. But here's the plot twist you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. But unlike God, you have no power to control it. And that is why victim culture and grievance culture thrives. Because even though we can cry out, this is good, this is evil, she's good, he's evil, we have no power to affect change one way or the other for ultimate good or ultimate evil. And so we are like gods, but we are not God. And the more we try and be God in God's place, the more we try to stand in the place of God and act as if we are divinity itself, the more doomed we are. That's why the people were terrified of my wife and my sons, because we are a reminder to them that there is a God, a real, living, true God, a good God, a God of life who creates life And the God that you worship is no God. And the priests and prophets that you listen to, they do not preach the true God's word. They serve the demonic. They serve the spirit of oppression and subjugation. They are religious. But they are the acolytes of soft totalitarianism. And the worst The worst aspect of being like gods but not being God is that subconsciously, in our heart of hearts, in our gut, we know that. And yet we keep repeating the same behaviors, going through the same motions, making the same plans generation after generation after generation. Well, we'll do socialism right this time. We'll get communism right this time. We can save you this time. Follow us. We know the right path this time. And it always ends up in the same place. Ruination, depression, regret, and death. The reason that we are so goddamn miserable is because we're not god Reef saw, however, that you could not have culture without cult, that is, without shared belief in and submission to a sacred order. What you get is an anti-culture. An anti-culture is inherently unstable, said Reef, but he doubted that people brought up in this social order would ever be willing to return to the old ways. Even church leaders, he wrote, were lying to themselves about the ability of the institutions they led to resist the therapeutic. Reef foresaw the future of religion as a de-evolution, a devolution into watery spirituality, which could accommodate anything. On my other podcast, which is a hardcore theology podcast called Banned Books, myself and my co-host, Christopher Gillespie, we talk about this all the time that what's being preached in so many churches today is spiritual cowardice, masked in religious language, slathered in Jesus talk. But all they're trying to do is make a virtue out of their cowardice, or as he calls it, watery spirituality. It's not concrete. It's not real. It's a devolution, a de-evolution of the churches, of faith, it's cowardice sold to you as spirituality, as piety. It is the religious leaders, the institution, the pastors and priests, and the laity participating in their own death, in their own demise. And what they call godly is ungodly. What they call Christian is anti Christ. What they call living is anti life. because they refused to resist the therapeutic. Reef foresaw the future of religion as a devolution into watery spirituality, which could accommodate anything. This is why the Pope announced last month that the Roman Catholic Church and Islam were forming a kind of contract. They agreed to worship together, to build places of worship, where both Christians and Muslims can come together and worship their God, which is the same God, according to the Pope, together. Well, that is the message of Antichrist. No devout Christian, and no devout Muslim for that matter, would ever claim that. Because Christians know that Islam is a Christian heresy. Islam believes that Christians are deluded in thinking that Jesus is God. So when it comes down to the root of their belief... There's no agreement, and the only way to achieve agreement is to simply wash away anything that is specific or definite about their individual religious beliefs. But why would they do that? Because they're a part of this cult. The cult of COVID, the cult of communism, the cult of soft totalitarianism. Reef lived long enough to see his 1966 prediction come true. In 2005, the sociologists of religion, Christian Smith and Melinda Lundqvist Denton, coined the phrase moralistic, therapeutic deism to describe the decadent form that Christianity, and all faiths in fact, had taken in contemporary America. If you're at all interested, I actually write about this in my book, Crucifying Religion. You can find it on Amazon in hardcover or Kindle. It's only, I think, eight or nine bucks. I kept it short on purpose so that it's affordable and easy to read. But I spent an entire chapter writing about moralistic therapeutic deism and why I reject it. So if you're at all curious, you're invited to read the book. It consisted of the general belief that God exists and wants nothing more from us than to be nice and to be happy. Moralistic, be nice. Therapeutic, be happy deism believe in a god which god doesn't matter just believe in god in therapeutic culture which has everywhere triumphed the great sin is to stand in the way of the freedom of others to find happiness as they wish this goes hand in hand with the sexual revolution which along with ethnic and gender identity politics replaced the failed economic class struggle as the utopian focus of the post-1960s radical left These cultural revolutionaries found an ally in advanced capitalism, which teaches that nothing should exist outside of the market mechanism, and its sorting of value according to human desires. See, even capitalism feeds into communism, feeds into soft totalitarianism, because it feeds into the therapeutic, which is the drive to be happy and to fulfill all of your wishes, to live a life of convenience and ease. the Cold War and the fallout from cultural conflicts of the 60s and 70s drove many white conservative Christians to identify with the Republican Party and free market economics as consonant with Christian morality. You can thank the Ronald Reagan campaign for that because it was his campaign managers who tapped into an entire voting bloc that came to be called the moral majority or the Christian right. Relativism clad in free-market dogma, aided the absorption of the therapeutic ethos by the religious right. After all, if true freedom is defined as freedom of choice, as opposed to the classic concept of choosing virtue, then the door is wide open to reforming religion along therapeutic lines centered around subjective experience. This is why so many conservative Christians did not see and still cannot explain the ongoing victories of transgenderism in the culture war. The transgender phenomenon, which requires affirming psychology over biological reality, is a logical culmination of a process that started centuries earlier. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. And in a therapeutic culture, the great sin is to stand in the way of the freedom of others to find happiness as they wish. Therefore, you are transphobic if you stand in the way of a person pursuing happiness as they wish it to be. Biology doesn't matter. Reality doesn't matter. All that matters is this is what makes me happy. This is my truth. Truth divorced from objective reality. Truth redefined according to what you think words mean, not according to their classical definition. Christian resistance on a large scale to the anti-culture has been fruitless and is likely to be for the foreseeable future. Why? Because the spirit of the therapeutic has conquered the churches as well, even those populated by Christians who identify as conservative. Relatively few contemporary Christians are prepared to suffer for the faith because the therapeutic society that has formed them denies the purpose of suffering in the first place. And the idea of bearing pain for the sake of the truth Seems ridiculous. There you go. That's the beginning of this series. The triumph of soft totalitarianism has already occurred. It will continue to build up momentum, it will build up power. This is why we see, for example, the Alphabet People's flag flying over the capital in almost every state. That's why we see it flying over U.S. embassies throughout the world. But ask yourself, when was the last time that an oppressed minority got their own flag flown over state capitals and over embassies worldwide? When was the last time an oppressed minority got laws passed to defend them from people even making fun of them? When was the last time an oppressed minority had someone from their ranks appointed to become head of the Department of Health for the federal government? Does that sound like an oppressed minority? No, of course not. They might be a minority as far as numbers, but oppressed, no. We need to wake up to reality and accept reality. We need to humble ourselves and accept we are not the most informed people ever. We're barely informed as it is. We're misinformed more often than not. We're lied to daily by the state, by their mouthpieces in public education and corporate media. We are controlled and manipulated by the social media oligarchs. Our friends and family those in the churches and those outside the churches, have become converts to the new religion. And either we stand and fight back and do so intelligently in an informed way so that we can actually make an apology, a defense for what we believe and why we're doing what we're doing. Otherwise, to quote Pushkin, whom I read at the beginning, as quoted by Solzhenitsyn, Why should cattle have the gifts of freedom? Their heritage from generation to generation is the belled yoke and the lash. If we accept the lash, if we accept the yoke of communism, of soft totalitarianism, then why should we enjoy the gift of freedom? And if we want to enjoy the gift of freedom, if we don't want to participate in the suicide of our society of our civilization, of ourselves as individuals and those of our children, then we must choose to live. We must choose to worship the God of life. We must stand for true life, not living as avoiding death, but true life. We must stand up and become examples for our children of nobility and bravery and courage of thoughtfulness and critical thinking. We must stop waiting for the state to correct itself. We must stop thinking of COVID as something benign and not a cover, a vehicle for totalitarianism to take over our society. The state and the religious leaders are working hand in glove to enslave us. And like dumb cows like cattle, like chattel slaves, we accept it. We accept the lies. We actually believe that simply talking to another person could potentially kill us. We actually believe that if someone walks into a building without a mask on, they will infect us with their contagion and kill us, even though they're healthy. We have allowed the state We've allowed our masters, the pharaohs, the Caesars, to indoctrinate us in such a way that we've become dehumanized. We've become things and we've allowed it. We've participated in it gladly for the sake of satisfying our need for pleasure, to be happy and have all of our dreams come true to live in a therapeutic unreality, to feast on lies, to worship false gods. So I invite you, once again, to stand up, to hold the line. If you're a Christian, preach the truth about Jesus Christ, that he is the God of life, that he is the Savior of all people. And that in him there is true peace, true joy and satisfaction, true hope, that he is our savior, savior, not the state, not the medical experts, not the media, not their self-appointed prophets and priests. They're all false teachers. They're all idolaters, and they blaspheme the name of the true God. They try to stand in the place of God and claim to be gods themselves. That their word is somehow divine. It's not. They're demonic. They're liars, just like their father Satan has been a liar since the beginning. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not religious, even if you don't believe in God, stand up for what is right, what is good, and what is just. And maybe along the way, ask yourself, where does your understanding of those principles come from? Where does objective good and evil, how do we know that there is objective good and evil? Where does that come from? How do we know why we love one person but not another person? Where does that come from? When we push back against what is wrong, How do we know it's wrong? Where does that come from? When we stand up as an example for our children, when we put on display bravery in the face of fear, when we face our own fears and push through them, when we act courageously, when we speak out, when we defend ourselves and others from this new religion, why do we do that? What are we doing it for? What higher cause do you serve? And if you don't, Maybe it's time to find one, for not only your sake, but for the sake of generations to come, because this is not going away, not anytime soon. This is our punishment for giving way to the therapeutic, for accepting the therapeutic unquestioningly. We are called now to repent, to turn back, to change our minds, and to choose life, to choose strength, to choose personal accountability, to choose community over globalism, to choose family over the state, to take responsibility for ourselves and our children's lives and not give that away to someone else, some stranger with their own agendas. We are called to live not by lies. And so I invite you to join me as we do this, as I read through this book, go through this series. Go ahead and buy the book for yourself. I'll include a link in the show notes. But the time is over to be speaking with each other just on the podcast, to be speaking with each other via social media or via text or on the phone. Now, we got to step up. We have to be more vocal. We have to hold the line no matter what for the sake of the future and the present. So that's all I got today, Space Monkeys. Warts and all. Like I've said before, I don't expect that you agree with everything I say. And I don't care if you disagree with everything I say. It's just my opinion. All I want to accomplish, if you're still listening to this, is that I get you to think for yourself. Question your presuppositions, question your motives and your intent. Think for yourself. That's all I want. I just want you to think for yourself and make your own choices, make your own decisions based on your own critical thinking and not letting someone else think for you or make decisions for you. Take responsibility for your own thoughts. Take responsibility for your words. Stop being a victim. Break loose of the cycle of grievance culture. Take agency over your own life. Build a community around yourself if you don't have one. Find others in your community where you're at and form concrete, real communion with others. Build new cultures in the midst of a disintegrating culture. You can do that. You have the strength to do that. You have the intelligence and the will to do that. Don't wait for someone else to do it for you. We've done that for far too long. That's why we're in this situation. That's why we're in this predicament today. Push back against the soft totalitarians. Push back against the cult of COVID and the religion of communism. Stop living only to please yourself and to make yourself happy. Reject the therapeutic and embrace strength and honor and courage and justice and kindness and charity and forgiveness. Embrace community. Embrace life. All right, Space Monkeys. Peace.